How are you tonight? It's good to see you. Youth, how are you doing? Praise the Lord. How many of you all are signed up for the youth conference? How many of you are going to sign up for the youth conference? Praise the Lord. That's about all of you. Anybody, you can't come to the youth conference because you don't have the registration fee. All right, glory to God, you're all set. Praise the Lord. Wait, you can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Give them a hand as they go. Hallelujah. You can be seated here in the congregation. <laughs> glory to God. Thank you. Happy Sunday. I want to remind you all of... Uh, uh, next week, Pastor Marshall uh, and Cindy Townsley are going to be with us. Uh, and then in the evening, Pastor Craig and Sharon McCune are going to be here. And so you don't want to miss it uh, for a number of reasons. And if you've been here, uh, Pastor Marshall uh, and also Craig and Sharon, they come every year. Uh, Pastor Marshall and Cindy minister every year. They're on our board. And so we have our annual board meeting. And so they speak into the church. And so if you uh, don't know, Pastor Craig um, has fairly recently been very uh, sick in the hospital and and uh, now recently today he is uh, phenomenally uh, healed and whole miraculously and so I know many of you were praying and uh, so he's going to share his testimony next Sunday night and uh, praise the Lord we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony so you don't want to miss next Sunday morning or evening Really, you don't want to miss a service. If you miss a service, you miss a lot. Praise the Lord. And um, God is doing great things. It's something to uh, uh, just really be in his presence gathered together. So I want to welcome you, everybody who's joining us by live stream. We're glad that you're here. Open your Bibles to Revelation, the fifth chapter. Revelation, the fifth chapter. We're going to, we have been talking about uh, really your faith confession, the power of your words, and uh, we're going to branch off of that and begin uh, a series uh, uh, that I've just entitled this. We're going to just stay with power. Uh, we like power. Amen. <laughs> and uh, talk about the power of the blood, actually the power of his blood. And so really uh, many of you have heard this, but a number of years ago, clear over in, in when we were meeting behind the mall in that building there, I would uh, go there often and, and just uh, pray and walk through the chairs and and take time to pray. And so, uh, as my habit was, I was just confessing the word and I was co confessing my healing scriptures. And I got to 1 Peter 2 24, and I was just moving through and saying, Thank you, Jesus. You know, I, you, Matthew 8 17, you took my infirmities, you bore my sicknesses. I thank you that you bore my sin in your own body on the tree that day. And by your stripes, I am healed. I thank you for healing me. And all of a sudden, just in that meditation, I began to think about now why? By his stripes am I healed? He hung on the cross for me. He paid that price on the cross. Why by your stripes am I healed? And as I was just walking and thinking about it, it just came to me that Jesus was never going to be sick because the root of sickness and disease is sin. And he was never going to be sick. And in order to truly identify and be our substitute that he would have to take in his own body what sickness and disease would do to the human body. Begin to at that time, I'm not going to say God showed me, but I begin to have in my imagination and Jesus laying over that whipping post. And, uh, you know, that day was long before the passion of the Christ came out. But what I envisioned that day, 
of him being beaten, what the Bible says, beyond recognition, his visage or his, his, his countenance wasn't even recognizable uh, any longer after he had taken that beating. Um, I just saw him, him, them beating him and uh, seeing that uh, his body was being torn, his muscles were being torn and bruised, that his, his uh, bones were being hit by the cat of nine tails. It was inf- affecting the bones. Infection was beginning to set in. That, that really in a course of, of what was going on, he was bearing in his body the pain and the infection and the things that would attack the human body. And he bore it all for me. And while I was imagining those things, just he was there and his blood was being poured out. His life was being poured out. At that moment, I just, I, I just said out of my mouth, Oh God, let not one drop of blood that Jesus shed be in vain on my behalf. The word vain means useless. So Jesus already shed his blood. He poured out his whole life for us. When he laid over that whipping post and took stripes upon his back, he shed blood. When they beat him about his face, and punched him in the face when they pressed the crown of thorns upon his head blood flowed from his head when he was nailed to the cross blood flowed from his hands and his feet when he was pierced in his side blood and water flowed from his side there was blood being poured out everywhere mark hankins when he talks about the blood he said we got to sling blood everywhere we just got to sling the blood and he says that because the priest used to take the hyssop and just sling the blood of the lamb and anoint the people and throw it on the people and you know that would be a little bit gross right now but we need to understand the power of the blood and let not one drop of blood i believe one person said this billy brim may have said this in in her book blood i think it's called blood and honor uh, uh that the blood of jesus is the legal tender in heaven the blood and the glory thank you legal tender in heaven everything in heaven that we have to grab a hold of was purchased by the blood and so sometimes we just go over the blood we're like i know about the blood but the blood never ever ever loses its power never loses its power i mean just think about it over two thousand years ago he sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat that blood has never lost its power to save a lost life That blood has never lost its power to forgive and to cleanse. It's never lost its power to restore and to make whole. It's never lost its power to heal of sickness and disease. The blood has never lost its power. There's so much that has to do with the power of the blood. And the blood is what redeemed us unto God. Once we understand that, we get that down in our hearts, not just in our minds, but we get it down in our hearts. We stop striving and working hard against sin, and we begin to understand that our sin has been washed by the blood of the Lamb. The price for our sin has been paid by the blood of the Lamb. And I know that you're here on Sunday night, and so many of you have heard this. Some of you have taken Bible school, but again, I've been delivered by reading after Peter. As long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to remind us of the things that are so important to us and to endeavor that it's not as much what you think you know but what you can share with someone else if we talk about the blood once again and we bring an understanding and a heartfelt understanding of the power of the blood of Jesus the people out there who are lost and dying in their sin and dying not only because of the sins that they've made but they still do not know that the power of Adam's sin was broken 
See, they're just sinning in their life because they are subject to the sin of Adam from the very beginning. They were born into the sin of Adam, and they can't figure out why in the world can I not feel like there's a purpose in my life? Why can I not feel like I'm praying to a God that seems to be afar out there? They don't know that the blood of Jesus broke the power of Adam's sin over their life. And we are the ones to tell them, listen, there's a different kind of life. There's a different quality of life that the people around us can live, that we can live if we gain a revelation, not just a mental ascension, but a revelation in our hearts of the power of the blood. And not just say, you know what, I know that, but I truly have experienced the washing of the blood. That when the enemy comes to accuse you of what you've done and what you deserve in life because of your mistakes, you truly overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. The word of your testimony of what? Of what the blood has done for you. And it's practical. It's not super spiritual. It's just practical to understand what Jesus' blood did for us. When we know that and we can share and we have a testimony of what the blood has done for us and what our desire is is to understand that the application of the blood of Jesus upon our hearts and upon our lives makes a transformation that when we share with people that there is something different about our life they may not be able to put their finger on it but we begin to realize and have a testimony that the blood has changed my life I'm no longer living subject to sin I'm no longer following the course of this world I'm no longer caught up in the ideology and the things that would just sweep me in because that's where the world is going but I live a different kind of life and a different quality of life all because of the blood. Not because I'm something special, but because of what he has done and the life that he's given for me. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Come on, if we're going to reign on the earth, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, Romans 5 really talks about it. I, I shared it last week, and Craig, once again, it's really on my heart that the church begins to learn how to reign in life. Really, I'll put it this way, that we learn how to reign over life. Sometimes we look, and we're just dealing with what life has dealt to us. You know, I was just dealt that hand. Well, if that hand rules over you, then you need to decide Jesus dealt me a different hand that we begin to reign over life you know for young people they're being reigned over in their life ideologies things that are available on the internet they get captured by things pornography different things that are happening we need to learn how to say you know what when the enemy comes to put a hook into our life when he comes to pull us away that we know how to reign over that when thoughts come that would try to destroy us that we know how to reign over that and the way that we reign over that and the way that we understand how to reign over that is to uh, 
Praise the Lord. It's me moving around. Um, I could jump down there if it would make it better. Praise the Lord that we learn how to reign over life. Not just say we reign, but understand. And without an understanding of the blood of Jesus, we'll never reign over life. Because he said you have to receive the abundance of his grace and the gift of righteousness, which all came by the blood of Jesus. Turn over to the 107th Psalm. We're going to hit a bunch of scripture today. The 107th Psalm, he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, when we know that we are redeemed and we begin to say so, there's power in that declaration that we are the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Come on, he's redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. It's one thing to say, listen, I'm doing this because I can't help it. It's another thing to say, I can't help it. I've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He no longer has a place in my life because I've been redeemed. But we talked about the power of your confession. And if you're, not, if you're wondering and you don't know and you can't declare, I am redeemed, hopefully we'll get to that place where you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am redeemed. He purchased my life with his own precious blood. My life does not belong to anyone except for him. And I can declare that I am the redeemed of the Lord. Psalms 19. Psalms 19. Again, this ties to the understanding that we see and we talked about with our words. In verse, 9, verse 14, it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. When we understand that he is our redeemer, he is the one that redeemed my life from destruction. We understand and know that he is my strengthener. And we give our life to him. Turn over to the 103rd Psalm. Again, we're just scratching the surface a little bit tonight. But as you can tell, the psalmist had a little bit of a grasp on his Redeemer. Psalms 103, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. The one who forgives all my iniquities and heals all my diseases, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He said, listen, that understanding and allowing your mind and your will and your emotions to declare and bless the Lord, the one who redeemed your life from destruction. He might not have known it, but the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He is the destroyer of every good thing that God would put in your life. And if you don't watch it, you'll say, well, he's just stealing, he's taking from me. But we look and say, no, I'm redeemed. 
And I declare that God has already redeemed my life from that destruction. And he set me in a different place. I love this. This just goes back to the weeks prior to this. But he says, who satisfies my mouth with good things. Now listen to this. If your mouth's not filled with good things, you're going to grow old fast. He said, who fills my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle's. The words that come out of your mouth actually renew your youth. There's a lot of things, you know. One of them especially is looking in the mirror and saying, my God, you're getting old. Um, You might watch that. Man, you're looking old. You need to just say, man, he's renewing my youth. That I have energy. But it all comes from a knowledge of who he is and what he has done for you. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 told you we're going to a lot of different scriptures amen first corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says but of him you are in christ jesus who became for us wisdom from god and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Come on, he's become to us redemption. We recognize that he has totally and absolutely done something to change the course of our life. One more, First Peter. Actually, more than one more, but praise the Lord. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who, who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's conduct, uh, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold for your aimless conduct, received by the traditions of your fathers, but you were, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and your hope are in God. Come on, he redeemed our life. Our life wasn't redeemed with silver and gold. It wasn't something that you could buy, something that you could pay for, something that you could do of your own strength, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. I like that because Peter, he has this, this place and this idea. If you could turn this down just a little bit because I'm like really totally hearing myself later than I say something. It's confusing. Um, praise the Lord. And so Peter, he talks about our faith and he says, we've all been joined together with like precious faith. 
Here he says it's the precious blood of Jesus. It seems that Peter came to a real value decision about the things of God that were in his life, the faith of God. He made a value decision. He said, my faith, our faith collectively is valued by me. I call it something precious, more precious than gold. He says, listen, the blood of Jesus, that what is done for my life, I value it. I have placed a value statement. It is the precious blood of Jesus. And when we begin to understand redemption and we begin to put value upon the blood of Jesus, we begin to put value on the words of our mouth, we begin to put value in our faith in God. Now, all of a sudden, we're not living religious, just doing something without placing value. But these are the things that are more precious to us than silver and gold. We're searching after them. We're living from them because we put a value on them. And for too long, the church has just said, yeah, I know about that blood. Yeah, I've accepted the blood. I have faith in God and it's a casual statement that we put no value upon but once we really put value upon our faith and understand this that the devil puts a value on those things the devil puts a value on your faith it's what he's after every single day of your life the reason that he's attacking your body the reason that he puts doubts in your mind and the things are going on around is to get you to doubt God and believe his lie and just, uh, just understand this. The moment that you believe the lie of the enemy, he has received your faith in him. That's how he steals, kills, and destroys, is the moment we say, you know what? I don't know if God's word is true. I think I'm going to believe this. You have just exercised faith in the lie that the enemy has brought to you. See, the enemy knows this. He knows that we were created with this choice. It's so unique amongst creation that we have a choice. And that choice is really what determines how we live by faith. We choose to believe God. We're not forced to believe God. We choose to believe God, and that's called faith. When we believe him, we trust in him, we adhere to his word, we rely upon his promises, and we put all of our, our, our value in what he's done. But he said, listen, this faith, this choice that you have is so unique to you as a human being that it will guide and it will direct your life. And the enemy knows that, and he says, I value your faith. I'm going to come and test your faith whether it be in God or not. And if it's not in God, I'll gladly accept your faith because I can do anything I want in conducting and stealing and killing and destroying the things of your life if you'll believe me. But God says the same thing. I can do anything that I need to do to bring your divine destiny if I can just get you to believe me, to trust in the truth to rely upon what I have done for you, to have faith in the power of the blood that was shed for you. Not to go backwards, but to move forward. Not to go back to the mistakes that you've made, but to meet him at the place that the blood was sprinkled and obtain the mercy that he has poured out upon that mercy seat. And in that place where you obtain mercy, you find grace to help you in your time of need. It's so vitally important how Peter put value upon the precious blood of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus, him talking about the blood of Jesus was not a casual thing to him, but a very important thing because he knew and he watched the blood of Jesus be poured out. He stood there in awe 
When Jesus was captured, his whole mindset was changed. He said, listen, I'm serving this king of the Jews, this one who is going to be the Messiah, and I have a revelation. He's the Christ, the son of the living God, and we're here walking with him, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And all these people that have done all this and ruled us out, he's going to set up his kingdom. And one day he's arrested, and Peter's like, come on, man. Speak up. We've seen it. Wave your hand. Wipe these people out. And Jesus is standing there. And they ask him, are you the Christ? And he says, you, you say that I am. You speak rightly. And then they punched him in the face. And they spit on him and they beat him. And I can just imagine, I'm just using my imagination, but as Peter was kind of pushing to the front, looking and going, all right, when are you going to do it? And the more they beat him and the more they spit upon him, he started to back into the shadows. Because he was like, what in the world's going on? I thought you were the king. It even came to the point that he backed off and he denied Jesus three times. And so he watched. He stood back and watched as this person that he thought was going to take over everything was beaten and bruised and laid over the whipping post and took stripes upon his back he watched as he bled out. Was laid on that cross and nailed to the cross and stood up there and watched all that blood flow. And he said, it was the precious blood of Jesus. I watched every drop be shed and fall to the ground. People not even knowing who he was and what was going on. The devil thought he was winning. Even his disciples thought, what in the world is going on? They've won. They ran and they hid themselves, locked themselves in a room, saying, what are we going to do now? He's died. He's gone. But three days later, he raised from the dead. He said, listen, the blood that I shed purchased everything that you have need of. He redeemed our life from destruction. He shed his blood for us in such a powerful way. Turn over to Romans, the third chapter. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Come on. There's power, there's power, there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. We need a few more songs about the blood. Glory to God. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Praise the Lord. Verse 21, it says, now, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, who God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance god passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus he said he's been made a propitiation by his blood 
That word propitiation refers to the mercy seat. It refers to the one who was the substitute. It says that by Jesus' blood, he was the reality of the mercy seat. Jesus was the one who bore our judgment that we might receive mercy. He bore our judgment. He paid the price for us. He paid the price for us. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I know so many of you have, you could probably quote these scriptures uh, better than I, but we're going to go over this again and again. Because I believe that the Spirit of God wants us to return to some things, to strengthen ourselves with these things that we knew, that we've walked in, that we've let slip because they become common, they become ordinary in the church. Oh, the blood, but to renew our faith in the blood, in the power of the blood. And when the enemy comes to accuse us, we know the power of the blood. When it comes to the fact that, you know, the enemy comes to tempt you, you say, no, I know the power of the blood. That's no longer who I am. That's no longer what I do. That no longer has a hook in me. That no longer draws me. That no longer entices me because I know the power of the blood. I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I've been sanctified. Come on, the blood sanctifies you. The blood sanctifies you, and we'll get to that as we talk about that, but Man, if we understood we were sanctified, half the time we don't even know what that word means. But the blood not only forgave you, but it made you holy. It made you holy. Come on. Made you holy. And the only reason we don't walk holy is not because it's such a religious term and it's so hard. It's because that we really don't have the revelation that we are holy. Come on, because holy people don't do unholy things right righteousness doesn't do unrighteously it just doesn't paul said that he, he continued to ask the church as he was grooming them and growing him he was like uh or didn't you not know that if you give yourself over to unrighteousness it's going to enslave you once again didn't you know that why do you keep giving yourself to unrighteousness don't you know that it grabs a hold of you he said, if you give yourself to righteousness, man, it'll govern your life. It'll take everything. It'll take a hold of you, and you'll just walk in righteousness, and you'll experience the fruit of righteousness, and you'll be righteous, and you'll live righteous, and you'll enjoy righteousness. But see, when all of a sudden we talk about righteousness and holiness, and the church goes, oh, God, here we go. Tradition. All that means is we don't know. Because when he talks about holiness, and the psalmist looks and says, man, I'm coming to you and I'm worshiping you in the beauty of holiness. Well, there's something so beautiful about God's holiness. But when we come to him and worship him and we are holy as he is holy, now you're talking about worshiping in the beauty of holiness. You're talking about there's nothing here between me and you but holiness. There's no regret, there's no shame, there's no wondering if I'm good enough, if I, if I measure up, if I'm going to make it, if you're going to love me, if you're going to forgive me, is anything bad going to happen to me, am I going to reap repercussions from back there? No, I understand I'm washed and I'm cleansed 
And there's nothing taken for granted. I'm not using it to try to get something for myself. You've already washed me. I'm just here, stripped down to holiness. And man, is this something. Come on, there's no greater communion than in that place. That's why he said, when you take these, the, ate this bread and drink this cup, remember my body broken, my blood shed, because when you're remembering that, what I did for you, we're truly having communion because your sin's been washed. Your body's, my body's been broken for your healing and your restoration. I paid the whole price for you, so don't live in communion with sin. Let's have communion together. It's all in the blood. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. So here in Isaiah chapter 53, he says, Surely he has borne my griefs, our griefs. You could say mine. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he goes on. He said, listen, the price for us to be at peace with God rested upon him. What was the price that was needed for mankind to have peace with him? He says, without the shedding of blood, there is no removal or remission of sin it could only be spotless blood we read the old testament what's wrong with the old testament why would we move beyond the old testament because yearly they brought the atonement and it was the blood of bulls and goats and lambs but the blood of innocent animals just continued to remind them for one year that your sin cost an innocent life that your sin and my sin the only thing that could pay for your sin and my sin was innocence. But the blood of a bull and a goat, that spotless lamb that they had to go through the herd and find the lamb that was spotless, the lamb that was without blemish, it was all a symbol of Jesus Christ, but it was always a reminder in the atonement that your sin, the only thing that can pay for your sin is spotlessness. The only thing that can pay for your sin is innocent blood, but it doesn't sufficiently do it. It only does it for a year because it's not the blood of a human being. And then Jesus came. And he said, no more bulls and goats. No more once a year. No more coming back once a year with your lambs and your bulls and your goats. He said, the Lamb of God on that day will be slain. He'll be laid open. And the blood of man will be shed and the blood of God will be shed. And I'll redeem your life and I'll forgive your sin, but I'll also make an everlasting covenant with you. So important, we'll go into it, but understanding when you read, when it says the Son of Man, Jesus was the Son of Man, then it says he was the Son of God. And I don't know about you, for, for a long time I was like, was he the Son of Man or was he the Son of God? And I know you all are probably quicker than I am, but he was both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And that had so much importance to the covenant that we have. Because when you have a covenant that's cut by blood, you have to have a representative 
of both peoples. If you're going to look at this people, this, this, this tribal people over here and, and this tribal people, and they were going to make a blood covenant. We're not so used to it anymore, but it, it happens in different places in the world still. It was very common to them at that time. But they would take that place, and, and generally speaking, the, the king of this tribe, the leader of this tribe, and the leader of this tribe, and they would do it just something like this for strength for us. This one would say, let's just say this, this, this tribe could grow crops. I mean, they just knew how to grow crops like nobody's business. The problem was is all the other tribes raided their, their, their village and took their crops. So even though they knew how to, the, the, how to grow crops, they kept having their, their uh, they couldn't defend themselves. And so they, the, everybody else ate off of their crops. And then you have this tribe over here that is a warring tribe. They could whoop anybody. So this king of this tribe decides, you know what? I need to go to that, 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 uh, the king of that tribe and say, listen, I'll make you a deal. You guys are dumber than a post when it comes to growing crops. So you have to come and steal our crops and whoop us to get them. But I'll tell you what, we're pretty smart. We know how to grow crops. But we are so weak, we cannot defend ourselves. So let's make a plan. Let's make a covenant. And the king of the strong tribe says, good deal. I'd rather eat after you've harvested it and just give it to us than have to wipe you out and then get it for ourselves because we're not that smart on what to do with it except for eat it. But you guys can separate these crops and give us, you know, and we'll all figure it out together. So what do they do? They say, we're going to make a covenant. So most of the time, they would pick the eldest son of the king. And they would say, go get the covenant animal and so they would go get the covenant animal and they would cut that animal in two in those old days and you can see it uh, as even god cut a covenant with abraham you can look back at genesis and they would split that animal straight down the backbone i don't know how they did it but it must have been a, a really sharp knife and enormous but they would take that that animal, they would split it right down the middle and they would let the two halves fall separate from one another. And they would let the blood of the animal come down in between where the two halves were separated. And they would call that the way of the covenant. And then they would stand there and the two kings would make their vows to one another. This is what we will do for you. This is what we will do for you. And the princes would go and they would stand in the blood they would stand ankle deep in the blood of that covenant animal and then many times as they were uh, they were announcing and declaring the vows that they were making to one another they would cut their hand or their wrist and they would raise their hand to their god whoever their god was to make their vow firm and they would join their hands together and mingle the prince's blood one to another this tribe and this tribe denoting that the life flow of this tribe is now in the life flow of this tribe and the life flow of this tribe is now in the life flow of this tribe and when they're mingled together that if you hurt one of these it's worthy of death because you've hurt a covenant partner and it was so binding to them but it took a representative of each tribe and we see the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world that on the cross that day, Jesus was split right down the middle. Right down the middle. And the Son of Man and the Son of God was hanging there on the cross, split right down the middle. 
when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and enter into that covenant, I believe that God literally sees us standing in the blood because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by the way, through the blood of Jesus. Why? Because that's the only way to enter into that everlasting covenant is through the blood that he shed. When you stand in the way of that blood and you say, be the Lord of my life, there is a covenant that's already set between man and God because Jesus being all man and all God mingled that day the blood of God and the blood of man in an eternal vow that he would save us from our sin and reconcile us to righteousness as sons and daughters of God. It's binding to God. And the power of that covenant blood is everlasting and that's why when we break the covenant, it so grieves God's heart that we didn't understand that we were overcomers, that we were more than conquerors. But thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. That we didn't recognize that our covenant was with him. And because of that great covenant, we became one with him that union of oneness that he never designed to be broken. We see it in the marriage covenant. It's why God says in Malachi, I don't like divorce. I hate the dismemberment of the one, the union of one flesh. Because it says in that covenant, you stand there. And really, you're joining legacy. You're joining families together. When you understand that covenant that I just described to you, they have all the families of this tribe over here saying and observing what all the families are doing. And now we're joining these two tribes together literally into one tribe. And instead of the, the weak tribe that can grow crops and the strong tribe that can beat anybody in a war, we now have the strong tribe that can grow crops, supply food for people because of the covenant. When we join to God, we take our weakness and we join it to his strength. And the great thing about it is God doesn't take on our weakness. He already bore all the weaknesses that we have and we are joined into his strength. And that's how we can declare that we are overcomers, that it doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter whether we're persecuted. It doesn't matter famine, peril, nakedness, or sword. It doesn't matter life or death. It doesn't matter. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The blood has been shed. And we can mentally ascend to it and say, whew, I went to church, that was good. But it's something to apply the blood to your heart so the next time the enemy comes a-knocking to bring death and destruction, you realize, no, you can't come this way. The blood has been applied, not just thought about, but the blood has been applied to my life and to my heart. And it causes everything of sin and death to have to pass over my life because he's the one that redeemed my life from destruction. And even as we have marriage ceremonies, today young people, sometimes you look at it and go, that tradition. But really the tradition has started. What side are you on? Are you, are you on the side of the bride or are you on the side of the groom? What was it saying? Why do we split that apart? Because we're snooty? Your family, my family? No. Because it's representative of the covenant. You can look over here and see this family. And then you can look over here and see this family. And then you look at this couple. And you're recognizing that we're joining the legacies and the plan of God for this family that goes from 
grandparents to children to children's children and that they're taking something that will go to their children and their children's children because of its legacy from God. And God had a plan for it to carry down. And so you're joining in that covenant. You're joining two families. And God wants it to be an everlasting covenant. And if you're here and you say, my my marriage broke up, I'm not here to put condemnation on you. I'm trying to bring to us an understanding that all through our culture there's covenant, but it breaks down because we don't understand the power of covenant. We don't understand the power of the blood. And even though we're Christians and we're like, I get it, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. No, it's so much deeper than that. And when we get it into our hearts, we're going to have long-lasting, vital, vibrant relationships with one another. We're going to have vital relationships in our family. We're going to grow we're going to produce fruit we're going to come back to what god said we're going to be fruitful we're going to multiply we're going to subdue and we're going to fill the earth with what god called us to do and that's what he redeemed us to do all right i'm going to finish up real quick so let's just end today with this definition and we'll pick up with it to be redeemed means this to be ransomed Or it means to buy back, to buy back. We'll dive into this a little bit, but if you know this, what do you mean to buy back? Well, if you had a child and somebody came into your house or they were walking down the street and somebody grabbed them and then they called you later and said, you are not getting your child back unless you pay so much money. We call that a ransom. And there's not anything that you wouldn't do. You'd go everywhere you could to find that price. And when that price is paid, what are you doing? You're paying, you're ransoming them back home. Back home. And you know, if that lasts too long, psychologists and stuff said that there's such, when they come home, if it's been too long, they have trouble adjusting to home because their life has been different. Now they, they, they've fallen under the guise and the, the dictates of the kidnapper. They, they're in that place where now this is more normal than that. And so long, uh, Christianity, people have been, get, gotten saved, but they come back home, but they don't understand what they've been redeemed to. They don't know what they've been bought back to. And so they continually, even though they belong to him, they continually conduct themselves as if they're not because they don't know the power of redemption and they don't know that they were bought back to something they just think they were bought from something but you are bought back to something vitally important you are not i were created with an eternal purpose and an eternal plan from god and it's found in genesis and we'll go back there just to talk about it just to to renew our mind to it because the enemy will rob from you and think you know what i'm just i'm just lacking and i don't have enough and i'm not smart enough and i don't know what to do and He said, listen, I've created you to be fruitful, to multiply. I've given you authority and power to subdue the things of the earth and to subdue the things around you, to take authority and dominion over them, not be dominated by them. He created you this way, and sin robbed that and stole you and stole my life, and the blood of Jesus redeemed you and ransomed you back to God's original intent and even then some. Because I hope you'll see it as we look into it that God didn't just try to match the devil, but he did something far greater. In Romans 5, it says, 
that if through one man's sin entered into the earth and condemnation through that sin, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? The blood of Jesus. Come on. Sometimes we're just trying to get back to zero. Man, if I could just get back to level. God says, I don't want to get you back to level. I want to get you to how much more. How much more did the blood do? It's not a religious thing. It's a real thing. The blood of Jesus right now that has never lost its power is a propitiation. It's right there. It's at the mercy seat. When he died, the veil was rent from top to bottom. And he said, this place where only the high priests could come with the blood of bulls and goats properly put on their thumbs and their hands and sprinkled and already sprinkled for man out there and put on the priest. And if it wasn't just right, once he got into the presence of God, that sin that was revealed because he didn't have the blood covering would fall over in the holy of holies in the presence of God. Now, when we read it with our our mind, we're like, why would God do that? God didn't do that. Sin did that. That sin could not stand in the presence of how holy God is. Come on, aren't you glad for the blood? Just think about it for a minute. All right, I'm going to close, but I'm thinking about it. It just excites me. That when we understand it, we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. That they used to come in, and if everything wasn't just perfect, they would fall dead in the presence of a holy God because sin can't stand in the presence of the holy God. But when we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, we walk in and we don't fall over dead, and we realize, wow, I'm in the presence of a holy God. But only because of the blood. And they would go in behind that veil, and if they didn't have everything right, they would fall down. They had to have bells on the bottom of their garments. And if those bells ever stopped ringing, they had a bell on their garment and they had a rope around their waist. So the priest would watch the high priest go in to offer the sacrifice upon the mercy seat and go in there in the presence of God and he's ding, 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 ding. And all of a sudden, if it quit dinging, ding, 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 thump, then they pulled him out. But when Jesus died, that veil was rent from top to bottom. And he said, now, when you accept the blood that I shed for you, access to my presence is open. And I'll meet you at the mercy seat where you don't have to be afraid of the judgment of your sin, but you'll see the blood and you'll know mercy has been granted. And the moment you obtain and fully know that mercy has been granted, you'll find grace for every day of your life for every need that you have, you'll find grace all because of the blood. All because of the blood. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify and we glorify you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that as we continue to go forward, that we won't be casual about what we already know, but we'll ask you. I ask you. Reveal to us the things that we don't yet know concerning redemption, the power of the blood, the covenant cut by your blood. That things might be revealed to us, that we might know all that the blood has done for us. That not one drop of blood that Jesus shed will have hit the ground in vain on our behalf. But that everything that was purchased for us by that blood will learn of it We'll partake of it. We'll participate in it. We'll apply it to our life. 
and begin to start realizing overwhelming victory over sin, over temptation, over the consequence of sin, and over every strategy of the enemy. By the power of the blood, we will see how we reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Thank you for washing us, for cleansing us, for sanctifying us, and making us whole by your blood. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus. Oh, I guess I have to receive the offering. I, don't know, I thought I did that already. Oh, well. Praise the Lord. All right. If you throw it up there, you all know how to give. I'll do, I'll do it. Zane said this morning, you all know how to give. Just do it. Um, no, we appreciate your giving. If you're giving by text, if you need, uh, if you came and you weren't prepared, you want an envelope uh, for giving, you can give by cash or debit or credit card. Raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. It's important. I'm sorry. I shouldn't, I, you know, I, I got caught off guard. I'm not making fun of this time. It's, it's really a worship time. You're, you're offering your gifts to God are incredibly important. So I'm really sorry I forgot about that. It's part of our worship to God. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, the text up there, you can text to give. You can give online. You can mail it in, or you can give by envelope. The receptacles are over here. And um, so we're thankful for that. Let's just pray over your life, blessing over your life. Father, we just thank you for each one. This room is full of givers, generous people. So I thank you for that. I thank you that as they are generous, you declared in your word, you'd, you'd bring it back to them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I thank you, Lord. Ah, this is the best year ever for them. That in salvation and by the shedding of your blood, you declared that you would not only heal us and make us whole, but you'd prosper us in all that we set our hand to. So I thank you for that. No weapon formed against them will prosper, but every single thing they set their hand to will prosper. Sons and daughters of God, we declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, say so as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.